Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. I am... Mike Abadir. Hope everyone's having a tremendous week. Tremendous sports week, as always. A lot to talk about today. Cam Newton going to the Panthers. How about Beckham going to the Rams? Tua backs up Brissett once again this week. What does this mean for the Dolphins moving forward? There's a lot of NBA to talk about. Warriors are off to a ridiculously hot, blazing hot start in the Western Conference. Are they the supreme team to beat? But before we get get to all that, and I don't know if my father is listening or not, but I wanted to give a quick shout out to my dad who uh, took a bad fall, bad spill, and uh, he hit his head and was knocked out cold. And uh, we don't live together. He lives far away. So um, and I'm in L.A. and he's in the middle of California in Modesto. And so we actually had to have the cops and the EMT you know, force their way in um, after he wasn't responsive for uh, a while. And uh, they took him to the hospital. He's in good care. So, Dad, if you're listening, I hope you're feeling much better. I think you're in good hands and you're going to be fine. So with that said, I know he wants to listen and talk about sports. So that's what we'll quickly move on to. Interesting game in soccer coming up on Friday. Tomorrow night, USA against Mexico. It's actually a pretty good rivalry. And in my mind, to have a good rivalry, you need both teams to be good. And I think that's where we're at right now. I think Mexico is a little bit better than the U.S., but the U.S. is bridging the gap. And I don't know. I have a feeling that this third round of CONCACAF for the 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifying um, tournament, if you will. U.S. looks pretty good. I think the U.S. has got a chance. They're playing at home at TQL Stadium, which is in Cincinnati. So it's a home game for the U.S. And uh, this is where the FC Cincinnati Major League Soccer team plays. So no excuses. If you want to compete in the world stage, in the World Cup, and you want to actually advance, you're going to have to win games like this. I would say not just tie, but you got to get the W. Because A, you have to make sure to solidify your position and have enough points to get to the World Cup. You don't get to the World Cup, then there's no talk about them advancing. Right? So, this is a big test. For the U.S., can they go up against one of the top teams in the world and win? And like I said, if you're playing at home, you're supposed to win if you're the better team. So we'll see how that goes. We don't talk a lot of soccer, but it was worth spending a couple moments just talking about what the implications are for the world stage. You know, the U.S. have had some bad losses or non-wins. So you got to win 
games like this, or else we're going to find ourselves in the same situation as last World Cup. You guys remember that? Where they had pretty much their position solidified. It was like a 99% projected World Cup qualifier. And then everything that had to go against them went against them, even down to losing to teams that they shouldn't have lost against, tying teams that they should have beat, and then uh, goals margin. I think the other team had to like clear five goals, and they did. I mean, it was like an incredible, heartbreaking, miraculous for the other teams, but a major loss for the U.S. And sure enough, they were bounced out of qualifying for the World Cup. Don't want to see that again this time around. I don't want to watch another World Cup without the United States. They've put enough money and attention to this program. There is no reason in this great big country of ours. Yes, I know that there are players that get divided into baseball and football. So your player pool, your athlete pool isn't maybe what it is in other countries that are purely about soccer. But I'll say that's hogwash because, first of all, most of those NBA guys wouldn't even be pro soccer players. Let's be honest. You're not going to have any seven-footers playing soccer, right? You're not going to have a lot of 6'10", 6'9", 6'8", guys playing soccer. So a vast majority of the NBA wouldn't even be you know, in the mix. If there was no basketball, they would not be in the mix. Those athletes would not be migrating to soccer, okay? That's the first thing. So we're left with baseball and football. Now, football, you have a lot of the bigs, O-line and D-line. You know, that's over a third of the team. Those guys aren't going to be playing soccer. So what we're left with is DBs, secondary, wide receivers, running backs, quarterback in the NFL, generally speaking, and then baseball players. You know, and I think that's probably where most of the guys that would or could play Major League Soccer or World Cup-type caliber soccer uh, or, or play in the Premier League probably would be baseball players. If there wasn't baseball, you know, you'd have a lot of those guys who play center field, shortstop, the super athletic types that would possibly be soccer players. But keep in mind, we've got 350 million people. What about these countries that only have a population of 10, 12 million, Right. I don't think we have an excuse. We must advance if we are to legitimize Team USA. And I'll I'll leave it at that. I had mentioned at the top the Warriors. The Golden State Warriors are 10 and 1. Now, eight out of their 11 games have been at home. So I'd like to see what they're like on a road trip. But hey, so far so good. I mean, they've played three road games. They've won each of them. Their win differential, their point differential, is far and away the best in the entire NBA. Their win margin is 13.6 on average per game. So, I mean, literally, every, every game, you know, on average, they're covering a 14-point point spread or a 13-point spread every single game on average. It's an unheard of pace to carry throughout the year, and I don't think they will. The second closest, by the way, in terms of margin of victory are the Utah Jazz at 9.3. 
per game, and they're 8-3. and three. After that, you got to go to the Eastern Conference and look at the Bulls uh, at 7.2 and the Miami Heat at 7.5. And those teams are 8-3 and three and 7-4, and four respectively. Great game last night, by the way, the double overtime against the Lakers in the Heat. That was a, that was a fun watch. We're in L.A., so there's a lot, a lot of Laker talk here. The Lakers are kind of in the middle of the pack, 7-5. and five. They haven't been great. But one of their, the glaring things that I see is that this was supposed to be the homestand that they were supposed to excel in. They've played nine games at home out of their 12. And this was supposed to be the homestand where they were going to go on a big run, you know, like a 7-2 and two type run. Eight and one type run, but they're kind of uh, a little bit over five hundred right now. They were five hundred two games ago. Now they've won a couple in a row. Um, their point differential is in the negative. Their defense has improved, but it's still terrible. I believe uh, their opponents' points per game is the second worst in the Western Conference. Only worsened or only. Uh, bested by the Memphis Grizzlies. So the Grizz are giving up an average of 114 per game. The Lakers given up uh, close to 113 per game. That's not championship material. Yeah, we're early. But look, 12 games in, you kind of get a feel for what the team is like. And granted, they could go on a run. But right now, I think there are a lot of things for the Los Angeles Lakers to work on. And anytime you've got like a loaded team with so many stars, uh, you would think that the veterans would be able to make it work, you know, coming off of a championship in 2020. And a lot of the court players have been there for a while. They've added a few veterans, you know, Carmelo Anthony and guys like that. So, and those guys are more, I think, offensive-minded than, than defensive-minded. Um, so, I don't know if it's an issue of roster construction, but I do know that Russell Westbrook, another addition, he's an offensive player. He's a, he's a you know, a major scorer in the NBA. I have not been shy about my opinions of Westbrook. I do find him to be a selfish player. I don't think his triple doubles are as meaningful as Magic Johnson's triple doubles. Not even close. Because the difference is Magic made his teammates better. Magic elevated the play of the team on both ends of the floor. Does Russell Westbrook have that effect? I put him in the same category as Harden. Guys that are offensive forces, but they don't make their teammates better necessarily. They don't elevate the play of the team necessarily. And I think that Russ is in that category as well. Uh, other veterans include DeAndre Jordan, who I don't think is a good fit with the Lakers. I'm sorry. He is not the DeAndre Jordan of the Clipper years, and he is not a fit on the Lakers. They also have 
Dwight Howard and Ray John Rondo, Avery Bradley. I mean, Trevor Ariza. So there are a lot of guys there that might be, be you know, beyond their prime years, let's just say. But these guys should know defense and figure out ways to work together to make it happen. I'm not seeing it, guys. I'm not seeing the vision for this roster, the way it's constructed. I don't think that they have the team that it takes to be able to, let's just say, surpass the Warriors and what they're doing. Because what the Warriors are doing is truly remarkable. And is there, if they continue on anything near the pace that they're going on right now, is there any argument that the Warriors' Steph Curry is not the league MVP this year? Big-time comeback player of the year, of course. That, you could hand that to him right now. He's averaging 27.4 a game. Uh, he's getting steals. Draymond is back to being Draymond. You know, he might not be championship years level Draymond, but he's bringing down 8.2 boards a game. He's dishing out 7.2 assists a game. He's making his teammates better. Steph, even though he's a scorer, is making his team better. And we haven't seen one minute yet from one of their best players. We haven't seen Clay. Clay Thompson. When he comes back, the Warriors will be more than just a force. In my mind, they are the favorite to win the NBA title. Don't tell me about the Nets with or without Kyrie, the 76ers, the Wizards, the Knicks. None of those teams compare, in my opinion, to the capabilities of the Warriors, who have a championship mentality. They've won championships. That's something that the Denver Nuggets do not have. The Mavs do not have. The Suns do not have. The Jazz do not have. The Grizzlies do not have. The only one that can make a claim to have a championship pedigree in the Western Conference are the Lakers. And right now, I think that the Warriors far and away are a better ball club than the Los Angeles Lakers. So that's that's my quick NBA wrap. I don't talk, and we on this show don't talk a lot of NBA. Typically, if Gino's on with us, he's, he's kind of more the uh, NBA correspondent. Or if we have Jamil Pop DiBiase on, he's a big NBA guy. He covers the sport. He makes a living covering the sport and of basketball and boxing as any regular of this show might remember or recall. But I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not much more than a casual fan when it comes to basketball. 
my business is football and my passion is baseball and horse racing. Let's talk about my business or the sport of my business, which is NFL. What do you guys think of Cam going back to the Panthers? I have to wonder, was he holding out for this type of situation? Or was this the only opportunity that came up for Cam? That's what I'm really curious about. Yeah, Cam is not the Cam of MVP level 2015. But I think he's still better than... I don't want to say many, but I'll say some of the quarterbacks that are starting right now. It's an interesting signing. Darnold has not been playing pretty well. He's not been playing well at all, throwing a lot of picks, and he's now injured. And I'm not sure how many games he's going to miss. I think three, maybe more. So this is a perfect audition opportunity for Cam, especially because they got McCaffrey back. They've got a loaded receiving core, and they've got an up-and-coming defense. I'm not going to talk crazy, but I could see them making a really serious run if Cam is a shell or just 70% of what he used to be. I'm not going to say if he's 100. If he's 70% of what Cam Newton's supposed to be, I think the, I think that the uh, Panthers can make a nice run during the Cam Newton games. Nice enough that they may be able to question whether or not to move forward with Darnold for the rest of the season. Now, they've got a really tough game coming up. They get to play the team with the best record in football, Arizona Cardinals and Arizona. They're 4-5 and five right now, so they could come out of this 4-6. and six. So what would be the best-case scenario for the Panthers during the Cam Newton games? Maybe 7-5? and five? Or, excuse me, 7-6? and six? Perhaps. We'll delve more into it. Let's take a quick commercial timeout. We'll keep talking NFL right after this. You're listening to the Mike Abadir Show on Voice America Radio Network. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to the Mike Abadir Show. We were just talking about some of the NFL headlines before the break. The first one that I spent some time kind of breaking down was the Carolina Panthers bringing back Cam Newton. I think it's a good move. I think it's probably better than their current quarterback situation. I'm excited to see what Cam has left in the tank. What do you guys think? Do you, do you think that he's got any fantasy football value, by the way? Maybe he could get you some sneaky six-pointers. Goal line, Cam Newton, big bodied. Get that football, the nose of the football over that line. Now it's kind of one of his favorite patented moves. I mean, his body is much bigger than any running back out there, bigger than a fullback. He's got the height, he's got the weight. I think Cam's got to be a nice factor. We're going to be joined by the NFL Draft Bible Sports Illustrated's Rick Saratella shortly here. And uh, I'd love to get his take on it. He's going to bring mad energy to the show. So I'm kind of like that even keel, low key kind of, you know, radio voice. And he's going to come in. Bam. He's going to ignite some energy into this. I love his style. But until then, you're going to get a little bit more of a casual laid-back California-style commentator, radio voice uh, for a few moments here. What about Beckham going to the Rams? Now, Beckham, to me, is all talent, but all talk. All talent, but all hype. That's how I view Beckham. Has he won anywhere that he's gone? Has he been a force since that great catch he made? I mean, I don't think I've ever remembered somebody's career taking off after one play. It wasn't even in a big moment. It was just a good play. You guys remember that catch? It was a phenomenal catch. But by all means, there's a lot of talented receivers out there. I don't recall anybody else whose career got launched from one freaking catch, from one play. Unbelievable. He's not going to displace Cooper Cup, that's for sure. Or Robert Woods. Or maybe even Van Jefferson. I don't know. I guess it can't hurt to have more firepower. 
as long as he's not a cancer in the locker room, as long as he doesn't bring down the locker room, as long as his dad is not sending out clips of his son being wide open and the quarterback not going his way. You can't sell out your quarterback. You can't scapegoat your quarterback. You can't pin the blame on your quarterback. It's just not right to do so. So, Mr. Beckham, if you're listening out there, let let Odell be Odell and talk for himself and not pin things on the quarterback or the organization. Let him flourish with the Rams. They've got a championship-type roster. He's got an opportunity to start over again. Let's see what he does because my take is that Odell Beckham is his biggest enemy. I'd like to get the take of Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible, Sports Illustrated, Hall of Famer on this show. He's got the gold. Bring me in, Mike. Bring me in. (laughs) Absolutely. What's your take on this? Because my take is that Odell Beckham, I've never seen a receiver who's made a career from one play. Unless it's like Dwight Clark in the end zone in the NFC Championship game to beat the Dallas Cowboys. That iconic moment from Montana to Dwight Clark. Usually it's going to be in a meaningful game in the Super Bowl or on the way to the Super Bowl. But I've never seen somebody with a regular season catch that was so phenomenal that it defined his career and has given him opportunity after opportunity, even though he's a cancer in the locker room in both his stops so far. What is your take on this issue, Rick? Well, I mean, I first of all, listen, it wasn't a catch. And, yes, he benefited from being on Monday Night Football. But let's not forget, his, the first three seasons of his career, he can match up against just about any wide receiver in NFL history. He had 4,000 receiving yards and 35 touchdowns through his first three seasons. I mean, talk about a yellow jacket. They were ready to punch him into camp. And it came under head coach Tom Coughlin, a disciplinarian who loved Loved Odell Beckham. And I happen to love Odell Beckham, the player, because I've had a chance to be around him at his charity camps for several years. Spoke to Mrs. Beckham several times. What a wonderful woman. He comes from, at least on his mother's side, a very grounded, impressive uh, young woman. She was a track star in her own right, by the way. But Odell is a passionate player who teammates gravitate towards to and elevates the level of competition around him. And the reason why people love him on the field is because he treats practice just the same manner as he treats a game. He is an intense individual, and you can't knock the hustle. You can't knock the love for the game. Now, with that being said, do I like the signing? And with that being said, before if I like the signing... When I see him go on TV with Little Wayne, to your point, I heard you talking. He's his own worst enemy. I said, what is this? What is this nonsense, right? Like, what the heck is that? And that's what got him thrown out of New York. And so, you know, he was picking between the Rams and the Packers. Personally, I thought the Packers would have been a better fit because small market, 
more under the radar, not as much media, not as many clickbait writers, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to dominate the headlines. He can just kind of fit in. Now, he comes to L.A., OBJ in L.A., right? They already got the slogan. And so now he's back in the second biggest market where there's going to be 50 beat writers in his face after every single practice and game. And he's going to be, you know, this volatile uh, soundbite. And he doesn't have the franchise quarterback. And, oh, by the way, Dan Jefferson has been playing the best he's ever played. Robert Woods is still there. And Cooper Cup has been arguably the best wide receiver in football. So now does Stafford have to force the ball to OBJ, much like Baker Mayfield felt he had to do. So as much as I love Beckham the player, was this the best fit? I question that, but I do love the Rams' mentality of being all in because this is either a boom or a bust. There's no in-between. I think all the points that you make are valid. It's... The talent is there. He is his own worst enemy. I don't know. I would have put a stop if my father had done anything like his father did. You know, you can't pin the blame on the quarterback publicly like that. It's your kiss of death. And think, just think about what it would take to be such a talent and to have two teams that can't wait to get rid of you. I mean, it would take a lot, Rick. Teams are exceptionally patient with players that are this talented. I mean, we haven't seen something like this since T.O., perhaps. Or Brown. Uh, at Brown down there in Tampa. Well, who, by the way, you, talk, you mentioned the two guys. Though. One's wearing a yellow jacket and the other one might be. So, And again, I would say... Do we know the relationship with Odell Beckham and his father? Like, did, did Odell Beckham know his father was going to drop that? Like, do they talk frequently? I don't know. I mean, and I'll tell you this. I know there were some uh, Browns front office execs upset about the fact that, like, even after Odell was released, like, you had wide receivers coming out talking about, like, yo, that's, that's my dude. Like, he helped me out so much. Like, siding with OBJ more than they were with Mayfield. And so that was part of the problem, I think, is like the Browns were forced to make a decision like quote-unquote franchise quarterback or OBJ, and, you know, they went the other way, which I don't blame them. Like, listen, again, OBJ is his own worst enemy. The players love him. And then, you know, what the media sees of him on TV or with these crazy sound bites, like, it's just the old rule of thumb where, like, think before you hit send. Well, you know, uh, yeah, think before you speak. Like, he just has trouble with that. And that's why, like, L.A., not sure that was the best destination, but I get it. He loves the limelight, and he thrives in that limelight. And I think the, the, the myth is, like, you know, people say he's a cancer to the locker room. I disagree. I think he actually uplifts the locker room because of his competitive spirit. I think what you see in the media is, you know, an exaggerated fabrication of some of the nonsense and immaturity issues that he has. But, I mean, here's a guy 
that was really very productive under coach Tom Coughlin. And I think that if the Rams can tap into some of that potential, hey, sky's the limit. Hey, look, you you obviously have some in-person, in-depth insight into Odell Beckham, the person, and some of his family members. And I respect that. I just can't recall two teams being so eager to get rid of a Hall of Fame-type talent unless there were some serious issues going on. And some we probably don't even know about, Rick. I mean, I don't think everything's been revealed. Now, I agree with you about the media. The media is all about fake news right now. So I don't trust anything that I hear. It's listen and then verify and not listen and run with the story. That's kind of my take on the media. Being a member, I guess, if you want to call it that, of the media, doing a radio show, um, I don't take what I hear as gold by any stretch of the imagination. But what I do know, common sense dictates, when you have two teams that are eager to let you go, can't get rid of you fast enough because they've uh, reached a boiling point, that is not a good sign in my book. So I think... However, however, however. Ground, but I think we, I think ultimately, you know, I think we agree to disagree beyond the middle ground issues that we probably stand on. But well, let me just say one more thing. Okay, please. One more thing. The Browns and the Giants are like two of the worst ran, run franchises over the last five years, right? So it's like, I hear you, but it's not like we're talking about two franchises that know what they're doing. It's like the Giants signed them to a big money extension and then like literally traded them. <laughs> that same season and the Browns, you know, do they really know which way is up or down? I mean, so I'm just saying, I hear you, but point counterpoint, just playing devil's advocate. No. And I hear you too. I think you raised some fair points about the organizations, but man, they took Mayfield, Baker Mayfield over OBJ. They didn't side yeah. with Dan Marino here. They didn't side with Tom Brady or Joe Montana. They sided with OB uh, right. with yeah. uh, Baker well, Mayfield. So you know, receivers are a little bit more replaceable. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Uh, I mean, I, I think that calls into question a whole separate discussion, which is: is Baker Mayfield their future? I think he's maybe a slightly above average NFL quarterback, NFL starter. Uh, he's going to show you some glimpses and some moments, but he doesn't have the consistency to be a champion unless he's got a super loaded team all the way around him. Um, I'm just not, I'm not loving Baker, Baker Mayfield. So, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another discussion on another day. Let's shift the attention to another quarterback. And I touched on this a little bit earlier before you came on, because I think it's a sneaky good move for somebody being able to heal up his body, get his mind right. I'm talking about Cam Newton. How about that reunion? for Cam and the Panthers? I mean, why not? Why not try to kiss lightning in a bottle, right? Because they've got to do something. Like, here's the Panthers. They came out of the, the gates like, you know, barnstormers, and then all of a sudden, McCaffrey goes down, Darnold goes down, <laughs> season's looking to go down. And so, I mean, Cam Newton had his greatest success with the Panthers. So why not? Try to reunite, rekindle some of that magic. P.J. Walker, who played for Coach Matt Rule back in Temple and um, has had some, you know, stints of success, he, he's going to take over the reins, and it's like, hey, we'll give him a shot. 
seen how he does. Maybe he takes off, and I think P.J. Walker might do well. And if not, well, hey, we've got Cam Newton uh, on the come up. But Carolina's four and five. They're right there. And, like, this is a, this is a big separation week, right? Because there's all these teams lingering around 500 or halfway through the season. And, you know, being 500 or being two games below 500 halfway through the season, week 12, week 11, whatever we're going on, is a big deal. And so why not secure yourself with a veteran backup? Uh, he is probably a better option than Sam Darnold anyway to begin with. So I like it. I like the signing. I like the uh, mythology of, like, hey, come in, no pressure to play this weekend, get your body right, get your mind right, come learn this new playbook, and when you're ready, we'll trot you out there. I like it. Yeah, and what a luxury, by the way. It's it The thing that's going to be unfair to Darnold, who had not been playing his best football by any stretch of the imagination over the last few games, but inevitably there's going to be comparisons to that those last few games that Darnold played. He's going to have something that Darnold didn't have, and that might be a little bit unfair for Sammy in that he's going to have the luxury of being able to hand off to Christine McCaffrey. Their backup, Chuba Hubbard, got some reps. Yep. And then you have the receiving core of DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, who was kind of underutilized in the first half of the season. And Terrace Marshall, who's got a lot of upside. I mean, he's got so many weapons on offense. It's a plug and play. And like I was saying earlier, he is kind of the guy that reinvented the goal line carry for a quarterback, you know, six five, you know, two fifty, get the nose of the football over the line. Nobody did it better than yep. Cam Newton. I think he's, he could still do that because physically he hasn't, you know, shrunk. So um, he might be a sneaky fantasy player too. Hey, I'll tell you because yeah, McCaffrey is banged up, so if Newton is healthy, you let him go over the top, like you said. And I'm looking at, you know, NFC East. There's one team above 500. NFC North. There's one team above 500. NFC West. You've got two teams above 500, and then you've got the NFC South where every team, like, let's just put the Bucks in there at 6-2, and two, okay? But, like, the Saints, 5-3, and three, Falcons 4-4, four and four, Panthers 4-5. and five. This is a big week. If P.J. Walker can hold down the fort and pull out the W this week, the Panthers are right there in the mix. And, you know, I'll tell you what, I love, I love the coaching staff. I've always said that team is set up to win. They're just a quarterback away. And I think we've been waiting for Cam Newton to come back to his old self. So why, what not a better place than to come back to his old home? Yeah, and look, that's a tough ask for P.J. Walker to go in and beat the team with the best record in uh, all of football on the road. But, yeah, you know, hey, the NFL can play is a, a competitive game. topsy-turvy kind of game, you know, every week by sure. week. That's why they play the game, Mikey. Exactly right. And I'm not big on, you know, can you uh, build, can you take positives out of a loss? But I think in this case, you kind of can because the team, if they play competitively and, you know, are in the game all the way to the end, and now they're thinking, okay, next week we get Cam Newton, I think that's a big, big lift for the team because he's probably, like you said, the best quarterback option they've had all season. So it's kind of like, you know, making a mid-year trade, in a sense, if you think about it. 
the equivalent effect. So we'll see if the Panthers can take off. I agree with you about the coaching staff. Phenomenal. A+. plus. There's a lot of playmakers. Let's see if McCaffrey is uh, close to being 100%. I think even 90% of McCaffrey is still very dynamic. And uh, one of the few running backs that solidifies his position in the NFL, he's an automatic guy if he's right. Let's talk about somebody who's not automatic. I was very high on the job that Flores was doing down in Miami. And I thought they were heading the right direction and that they were even going to be a contender for the division. I'll be honest with you. I really thought, I really felt that that was the case. I thought the defense really came on last year. And if Fitz was the quarterback for the last seven, eight games, I thought mm-hmm. they were a playoff team last year. So now we're, we're looking at a team that's two and seven. I mean, unless they go on a eight Oh run, they're not going to be a playoff team. Do you think Tua has set back this franchise, you know, at least two seasons? Oh, no question. No doubt. Because you set a mouthful. I mean, they chose their ego over results. And they said, hey, we, we invested a first-round pick to a B or not to a B. And it has not to a B. And – you know, we talked about this coming out of the draft. There's questions about his durability. He's always been hurt. And he's got a frame and a style of game that makes him susceptible to getting hurt. And yeah, so here was right. Ryan Fitz. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to yeah. say you said something really, really um, important and interesting about the egos in the front office. Let's hold off on that until right after a quick commercial break. And I want to examine that a little bit because I want to talk about a team that didn't do that, didn't do what the Dolphins did, meaning Mm. they swallowed their ego and they're now having the best record in the NFL. Quick timeout. We'll be back with Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible and Sports Illustrated, Hall of Famer, gold jacket wearer, right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back with the man himself, Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible Sports Illustrated. I am your host, Mike Abadir, of course. We are just talking about the Cam Newton signing with the Carolina Panthers and the impact that'll have. We were talking just before the break about Tua and the Dolphins and the regression and Flores and, you know, the ego play from the front office. I think you had more to add to that, Rick. And we'll talk about a team that didn't have the ego flexed to the fullest. And we'll also talk about the division of fives. I call them the division of fives. Maybe the most interesting division in football, the AFC West. But let's wrap up our conversation about Tua first. You had more thoughts on the Tua thing before I had to take a commercial break. Please continue, if you may. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the the Dolphins in general. Like, you know what? Here's a team that their egos, they can't get out of their own way. And they should have stuck with Fitzpatrick. They could have rode him right into the playoffs last year. I remember Rich Gannon. You know what? Ryan Fitzpatrick was kind of on that trajectory. That's what I saw anyway. And so I would have stuck with Fitzpatrick. But from what my understanding is, like, Brian Flores has become unapproachable. Like, you can't tell this guy nothing. And so he can't and anybody who goes against his philosophy, his way of thinking, and when you want to always be surrounded by yes-men, it's not going to work. And so here is Flores just acting like a jerk, commanding this Bill Belichick type of respect, but at the end of the day, we, you know, I, I don't see any rings on the finger. Like, put a ring on it, right? And so I think that's the real problem with the Miami Dolphins is just ego and communication, and it starts from the top, right? you got all these celebrity owners that want a piece of the pie. Like, who's really the owner over there? Stephen Ross, but then you got, like, 20 other celebrity owners, and then all these people in the front office. Nobody really has a distinct role or true title. It's just really a mismatch. Like, remember the mosh pits back in the day? I feel like that's what the front office of the Miami Dolphins is. What a great analogy, man. And I totally agree with you. And a part of it is the celebrity thing. A part of it is desperation to find the next Dan Marino. You're not going to find the next Dan Marino. You want to find the next franchise quarterback so that you're not, you know. Hey, go find me the next Chad Pennington. I think the Dolphins will be, the Dolphins fans will be happy if you go find the next Chad Pennington. Yeah, no kidding, man. Or Jay Fiedler. Yeah, no, no kidding. You know, just anybody that can play more than three seasons. And it's interesting because Tannehill kind of found a uh, second gear. But a lot of the guys from that time period, that Dolphins era, if you want to call it that, from a few years ago, went on to have breakthrough career years when they left. Remember that season, like Drake went to Arizona and was killing it. And there was like four or five other guys like, uh, that went off and killed it. Yeah, once they left the Adam Gase prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so the prison camp. Uh, you know, if Tannehill was playing the way he is right now, 
back then, you know, he probably would have been the closest thing to a franchise quarterback. But does this upcoming draft have anybody at the quarterback position that you would feel great to start in week one next year? Oh boy! Did you set me up for this one, Mike? Because I, I put out a tweet the other, I put out a tweet the other night. People were not too happy about. It. I said, you know, I said, hey, if the NFL draft were held tomorrow, I said I don't see a first round quarterback who is draft eligible. I said that's just me. I said I'd love to see which GM has the cahoots to pull the trigger on it, though, because uh, I mean you're really putting your job security on the line, and you know. For the record, I like Carson Strong from Nevada. I think he's probably the most talented. He comes with a lot of medical history with broken collarbones and spinal contusions and things of that nature. So, you know, would I invest a first-round pick on him? Probably not. I like Matty Corral from Ole Miss. I see some things that he can do from the improvise and arm strength, you know, translating to the modern-day NFL offenses. I think he's got some tools you can work with. Would I hand him over the keys to the Cadillac and say, yo, kid, drive my franchise to the Super Bowl? I don't think so. And so, like Malik Willis from Liberty, I think we all saw – is still got a ways to go. He's a poor man's Trey Lance, so take that for what it's worth. Maybe a more physical and bigger Trey Lance, but Sam Howell has fizzled out from North Carolina. I mean, I'll ask you, Mike, is there any quarterback you've seen? You said, hey, this guy's going to save my franchise. No. Unequivocally, no. Now, this type <laughs> exactly. of draft... Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, I know a couple guys like him. He's got eight-inch hands. I don't know. I mean... Well, what this draft quarterback-wise will be known for is, you know, two or three years from now, we're going to look and be like, wow, how did this guy go in the fourth round? How did he last till the fifth round? How was he an undrafted free agent? Those are the type of quarterbacks that we're going to get. So I'm not saying that nobody's going to produce from the quarterback position from the 2022 draft. I bet you there will be. But they're going to be highly under the radar they're going to be in the right system, the right place, at the right time, with the right support, with the right front office and management to bring him up the right way, which I felt the biggest issue for first-round quarterbacks is that they get inserted way too quickly and then are deemed a bust, and then you move on from them. This isn't the time period or the era of you have young backing up Montana and learning everything about the system and you know plug young in plug young in Montana's hurt Montana's hurt still don't plug him in you wait you wait you wait a little bit longer and then he flourishes unlike what he did with the Bucks right or Aaron Rodgers he was probably you know ready a year prior I would rather see first round quarterbacks sit on the bench a year too late than a year too early. That's my take on the quarterbacks. No, I mean, and, and it's a luxury, right, in today's NFL because we've seen in recent years with the simplistic offenses and the dumb, I hate to say it, but the dumbed-down offenses, it's been able to correlate. Like some, some rookies have come in and enjoyed some success right away, and so we said, hey, why, why can't everybody do that, right? And now – 
with the implementation of the salary cap, right? They wanted to create that parity. And I remember the era you're talking about, and Steve McNair was a good example, and we used to, you know, go from Joe Montana to Steve Young to Elvis Gerback to Steve Bono. Like, it, it was just like, you know, it, it was from one to another. But, you know, I think with the salary cap, free agency, the short attention span due to parity, you see teams go from worst to first, the fan base says, why not us? And so the pressure is to play right away, get immediate results, and if it doesn't, oh, we got to blow it up. Like, people forget Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning, even John Elway, they, they were terrible. I mean, they were terrible, their rookie seasons, but they learned so much, right, because you don't learn on the sidelines. You learn from flying bullets, but they learned so much that rookie season that they became great quarterbacks. But, there's more than one way to skin a cat because Steve McNair sat for like three years and then went on and had a Hall of Fame-like type of career. Yeah, and but also so you're mentioning, you're, you're, you're bringing up like ridiculous pedigrees coming into the NFL, like can't miss status, like Elway, like Peyton Manning, you know, or like an Andrew Luck. I mean, those are some of the highest graded quarterbacks coming in, but they're kind of doing that with, Anybody that's in the first round nowadays. Oh, you're a first rounder? Oh, let's plug you in. And I'm not sure that that's the best approach. We've only got about a minute and a half left. I'd mentioned swallowing ego. The team I was talking about was Arizona. Of course, they draft Rosen, figured out didn't work, yeah. and immediately swallowed their pride and took another quarterback, and now they're 8-1. and one. So that was the team that I was referring to. Rick, really quickly before we go, are there any plays this week that kind of stand out for you? Yeah, actually, I like, uh, if you're still listening and have time to get it in, I love Baltimore, uh, as a matter of fact. So I would definitely go in on Baltimore. So I that's tonight and Thursday. Okay. And, so, and then I like the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think it was nine and a half last time I checked. I'm, I'm in on the Bucks over to uh, Washington football team. Okay. I think that's, uh, those are good picks. I like the New York Jets, believe it or not, getting 12 at home against the Bills. They get Magic Mike back, Magic White back, whatever you they want might to call win. it. I'm sorry? They might win. Yeah, I mean, I think getting 12 is, is a lot. And then the other team I like is the Washington football team getting almost 10 points, 9.5 at home against the Bucks. Against the Bucks, um, yeah. I like the – I'm the other way, so there you go. Yeah, I know you're opposite <laughs> on that one. Um, but I, I think it's a lot of points to cover. And then the last one is, it's a do-or-die game for the 49ers. Monday night at home against the Rams, they're getting four. I think the Niners keep it close and the Rams win. But that's all the time we have, Rick. i super appreciative of you joining us. Check him out, Sports Illustrated, Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible, Hall of Famer. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.